from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is Cairo Nights with Jake Scorheim. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. Jake Scorheim here, your host, broadcasting from Cairo Studios North till my family gets past COVID. Uh, we're all doing fine. Thank you guys so much. Cairo was kind enough to have the, you know, the, the, the foresight to pre-set up a studio in my house. They just built it for me. Uh, in my office, actually. They said, hey, you know what? You're gonna end up sick at some point and we still want you to work. And so uh, we're gonna build you a studio, which is great because I can do the show live from here. I just get to broadcast just like John Curley. Makes me feel very fancy that I can do this just the way that John Curley does his show. And he just gets to roll out of bed and do his show at three in the afternoon. I don't think he's waking up at three, but whatever. And I'm not waking up at, at seven either, which is when my show starts. Um, all right, so second hour of the show. At the beginning of this segment, always I pay off the trivia clip. This is a clip I played earlier. Almost all of you got it. And if you guys were real uh, uh, sleuths, you would have heard the answer to the question in the clip itself. Here it was, and then I'll tell you the answer. Although it, this is also kind of the answer. All right, so that is, of course, from the movie Wally, which is a, it's just a phenomenal. Uh, that's a is it Pixar Wally? Yeah, it's Pixar. So Wally is a Pixar movie. If you guys haven't seen it, it's about a little tiny robot far off in the future of the world where the world has been overrun by trash and the human race has had to move on and they have had to go and live on giant cruise ships in the stars, basically just these giant spaceships. And they build these tiny little robots to clean up Earth. And so Earth will be clean by the time they get back. And then... So the movie's about a tiny little robot who actually doesn't speak. The only words they say in the entire movie are Wally, uh, most of the movie, until they get back to the humans, which whatever, then they, they know how to talk. But they've gotten very heavy and very lazy, and none of them walk, and they all just go around on these uh, futuristic hover chairs. Actually looks kind of fun, but not the, uh, uh, not the, I don't know, there's just like parts of it that doesn't look great. Like the fact that they're all basically big giant babies who can't walk anymore. Uh, anyway... That's a long, that's a, way too much on Wally, but it's a good movie. I love movies that you can watch with your kids. Wally's one of them. Leo also, have you guys seen Leo on Netflix? It's an Adam Sandler movie. He plays a lizard. It's fantastic. It's just so good. All right, uh, this is the time of the night where we do news roundup. And because I'm sequestered to my house in my den of sickness, it's just me tonight. But that's okay because I have with me all the other hosts from all the other shows with me right here uh, via audio clip, which is what this segment's all about. So we look back on all the other shows. We play audio clips from them. We then can comment on those. Uh, it might be pithy. It might be just an extra interesting little add-on that maybe they didn't get to. But Seattle's Morning News, they were talking about being late for work. I have not heard these clips, so I'm going to react to them in real time with you. Matt pulls these clips, and then he sends them to me. So, all right. Dave Ross talked about being late for work. What do you got, Dave? 
sinking feeling. No reason at all. That uh, happens when you wake up and realize you slept through your alarms. That ever happened to you? It happens all the time. No. Oh, I was going to say, um, that might be a problem. I was just trying to, you know, to make, make Dave, Dave feel, feel better. better because he overslept mm-hmm. yesterday for yeah. the second time in 10 years that I've worked there, with you. I no. mean, you never do it. There was one time in 1992. Okay, never, so three never. times in your career you've yeah. overslept. Yeah. But Cutie came in disheveled, popped right into the interview, mm-hmm. and you did a phenomenal job. So well, I don't see why you. it's a problem. That's right. Did she call him Cutie? Is that what you said? Cutie came in disheveled? In your career, you've yeah. overslept. Yeah. But Cutie came in disheveled, popped right into the interview. Is that it? I don't I don't have a chance to listen to Seattle's morning news like I would like to um, because I'm uh, sleeping. Actually, in the morning I sleep. But is that a nickname for Dave on the show? Cutie? I'm going to play that one more time. I can't believe that. Three times in your career, you've yeah. overslept. Yeah. But Cutie came in disheveled, popped right. I don't like that. Let's change that nickname. He's a grown man. Isn't he cutie? Into the interview, mm-hmm. and you did a phenomenal job. So well, I don't see why you. it's a problem. That's very nice of you. Yeah. Uh, but I, as I was mentioning to Mickey, it it does make you feel disoriented, or at least at my mm-hmm. advanced age, makes you feel disoriented no, anybody. for the rest of the day. Right. It really does. Right? And there are a couple yeah. of things. There are a couple of things that, that you can do to help mm-hmm. get out of that funk. Okay. Number one. Make the dreaded phone call or text that you're running behind. Yeah. Just get it over with and make the explanation brief. Hey, I'm running late. And then apologize. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. I over. I got to pause it here real fast. I And I may be a little slow on the take. Are they explaining what to do when you're late? Is that what this clip is? Uh I guess, or I guess for young workers, they don't know what to do if they're late. They don't know you're supposed to call in or send a text to your boss that you're late. That can't be true, right? Come on, Gen Zers, millennials, you guys know this. Slept, or I didn't set my alarm, and then get back to business. Why is that number one? Well, because it sets the tone. You want to go ahead and stop yourself from rushing, according to career coaches and other people who had, you know, wanted to chime in about this. It just go, it, you, you get it off your shoulders. You know what I mean? Because it's going to weigh heavy on you. Oh my gosh, I'm running late. I got to let them know I'm running late. Oh my God, I'm running late. And it's like, if you just stop for a second and say, hey guys, I'm running late. I'll be in soon. It just like codifies the shame spiral. Right. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Um, so I'm trying to remember when I was late, I, you know, it's always good to be on time. I'm not like saying I'm the best employee, but it's always good to be on time. I do remember in my early working days, I was working as a barista, a barista for Tully's coffee and my job, because I was, I mean, I'll be honest with you guys. I want to toot my own horn. Pretty good at slinging coffee. I was real good. I was good at the chit chat part of it. Let's just say that. And I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, is it any wonder? Uh, but no, people did like to come in and I remembered everybody's names. And the key to success for a barista, at least back in my day, was you remember everybody's drinks. So like all of your regulars, you would see them parking and heading in. And on their way in, you'd say like, oh, that's so-and-so. That's uh, that's my buddy Kelly who pops in every day for a, a quad shot uh, Americano. And so you have it, you just bing, bong, boom, you have it ready. And when they walk in, it's sitting at the edge of the counter. The twinkle in their eye, when you tell them that their drink is already ready, that, that, that wins you the tip. That's how you get it. That's how you get that extra dollar. They just say, oh, take the, take the dollar, take the extra buck. That's how you make the big bucks as a barista. But all that to say, um, I, was, I used to work the morning shift. And me and my buddy Paul, 
who he hired me at this uh, this uh, shop. He was the manager there at Tully's Coffee. It's no longer with us, Tully's, unfortunately. Although they had very good coffee, and I think you can still buy their coffee in pod form. Uh, also, I'm sure you can buy it in many other forms, but uh, they're no longer a walk-in place, to my knowledge. But my buddy Paul hired me, and so we used to work the morning shift, and which is, again, where all the A-team worked. And uh, I was supposed to be there. The shop opened up at 6 a.m., but to get a coffee shop open at 6 a.m., do you know what time you have to actually show up? 4.30 in the morning, pretty early, if my memory serves. It might have been 5. Uh, a little fuzzy, a long time ago. So my job was to get there super early. You got to open things up. You got to get the coffee flowing. You got to get all the, you know, the drip coffees filled up. You got to make sure the place looks good. You got to get the papers laid out. You got to set out the pastries in, a, in, a, in an appealing way. People are going to want to buy them. So I, I, one day I'm supposed to be there and my phone rings. And I kind of wake up from slumber and it is Paul. And he calls me and he says, where are you? And I live like 40 minutes away from where I worked. And he goes, where are you? And I said, what? what? And it's like, it's six o'clock. So like the best I can do is get there by 640, which is way too late. And uh, I just, I had overslept. That's the last time I can remember oversleeping. And you know what? I rushed. I got there as fast as I possibly could. Don't drive unsafe if you're late to work, but it's a good idea. It's always bad when your boss has to call you because I didn't even know I had overslept. I just, I was late. That's how it worked. And you know what? I'm fine. It all worked out fine. Probably because I was only slinging coffee and I, was, I wasn't like late for a surgery or something like that. All right, let's move on. Uh, I think I've gotten enough out of tipping here. I'm sorry, uh, out of uh, being late for work. The next topic that I'm seeing and saying it as I'm seeing it is about tipping. On the G and Ursula show, they talked about tipping. Has it gotten out of hand? Good question. This tipping has gone too far, they say. I went to a concert over the weekend and my girlfriend wanted a t-shirt of the band. It was $50, no problem. But the problem is, is I used my credit card to pay and it popped up asking for a tip. And then I didn't see an option to choose no tip. It was just 15%, 18% or 22%. I told them, well, I don't want a tip. And they said, okay, well then you need to pay cash. I was mad. I said, nope. And my girlfriend didn't get the t-shirt. Now she's mad at me. She says that I'm cheap. So if we start tipping at places like that, where does the madness stop? Does it ever? That doesn't even seem legal to force someone to give a tip or you have to pay in cash. Although I guess if you're a private business, you can do whatever. So whatever. (laughs) But... Um, I don't think he's cheap. I think on principle, I would have reacted the same way. Why would you have to tip on the purchase of a T-shirt? And then f- I think we've heard enough of that one because I'm, I'm, I'm itching to get in here. Put me in, coach. I got to get in. I got to tell you what I think about tipping. That's ridiculous. One, I think the person who sent in that scenario is not an observant person. Because every time I've ever seen one of these, and yes, I've seen all of the 15% automatic tip, all that stuff. At the bottom, there's always an option. It says like a custom tip. Would you like to do a custom tip or or no tip, which is the correct response when somebody asks you for a tip on a t-shirt? They didn't provide you any service. Tipping is about service. And you know what? Talk about, this is just professionalism. Talk about tying these two things in. I just told you that story about me being at uh, Tully's, seeing somebody walk in in the parking lot, seeing them pull up, recognizing their car, memorizing what that person drove, getting hundreds of people in per day, memorizing what each person drives so that when they pull into the parking lot, I knew 
this is so-and-so and they drink such and such and I'm going to have it ready now and then. I couldn't think of another one, uh, but I'm going to have it ready for them when they get in. That's That deserves a tip. That's going above and beyond. That's how you earn that tip. Somebody selling you a t-shirt? Come on. It's ridiculous. Also, take out food. I'm confused by this one because I, I love to get um, teriyaki. Teriyaki is like a, I can just eat it all day, every day. I love it. I love it. I don't mind saying it. I love teriyaki. And when I get it, the place I go to near my house, they have that instant thing where it says, all right, do you want to, you know, it, it instantly takes you to the tipping page. Uh, 15, 25, that one, I, can you say, are those customly set? Can you, can you set those? Is that a custom setting? Because they have a 15, a 20 and a 25. Who's tipping 25% on a takeout? That's ridiculous. Nobody should do that. I, you should tip nothing. I mean, to be honest, you should tip nothing on a takeout. It's for service rendered in the location. If I go in and I sit down and the table's nice and clean and the bathroom smells nice and the service is quick and prompt and they get everything without messing it up, I'll toss you uh, 20%. That's what you get. If it's fair to middling service, I'm going to give you 10 and that's kind of my way of like really letting you know that I'm not feeling great about it, but I'm still going to give you 10 because I'm not a jerk. And if it's really bad service, then I've actually never been in a situation where I just haven't tipped if they've at least given me some service. Maybe if they did like forgot items or maybe if they were outwardly rude, but that really doesn't happen. Like I can't even remember a situation where that's happened. But when I do takeout, I always feel like I should toss them a buck. So I always do custom tip and I always add a dollar to whatever the thing is. Whatever, it doesn't matter what the cost of it is. If it's $42, if it's $76, uh, if it's if it's a takeout and there's no service to me other than the fact that they're just handing me my food and then asking me to pay for it. I'll tip them a dollar for that just because I want to see those businesses thrive and I want to see them do well, but I'm not going to tip them like 25%. That's nuts. Or the 15, come on. Shouldn't even be an option. Don't put that in people's faces. I hate that. It just bugs me. All right, let's move on. Uh, let's see. We got time for, we got time for two more. We'll get them done real quick. Uh, Jack and Spike show. What were they talking about here? Dystopian views. I don't even know what this one's about. Let's check it out. We live in a major metropolitan area, mm -hmm. which is basically like living in Deadwood. Do you know what I mean? Like the old cowboy town. Oh, I know it well. Where there are shootings will happen. Stabbings mm -hmm. will happen. Sure. Regardless, you could have a police officer in everybody's living room, cameras, mandatory, you know, on your body at all times. You just walk around with a surveillance camera sure. pointing down. Well, minority report. like Yeah. yeah. And, and you would still have shootings and yeah. stabbings. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that the only way to and what, what I'm saying is, is that are we not painting a false picture for people? I, I'm with you. In the vein of that they live in this dangerous, evil, awful place when in actuality, how many million people live in King County? It's uh, over two. Right. The, the Seattle metro area. Seattle metro yeah, area. Yeah, over um, two and a half. Technically, I'm just going to throw this out there. Technically speaking, it is a miracle of modernity that that few pe of people were injured and or killed. I now, agree. it's tragic. It's very sad. Yeah. But considering that we could be in this bizarre wild, wild west world where people, you know, this Mad Max apocalypse where people are just shooting right. and killing each other. He all spit on my shoe. Right, exactly. Right. He pulled a seven. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I just think that to put it into a context might be beneficial for people. Like there was this story that broke. Was it two months ago? Oh, record amount of homicides in King County. Yeah, 2023. Yeah, yeah. We had a weird bad year. Yeah. Right. But contextually speaking, it's kind of a miracle that we're all not just constantly killing each other with shovels. 99.9% of Seattle went unshot last year. Even 99.99999% yeah, yes. of Seattle lived unshot, last year. Not shot at all.
that's ridiculous. You guys are ridiculous. I like Jack and Spike. They're both really nice guys, but that's ridiculous. I have no problem complaining about Seattle's record homicide rate. I think we should be complaining about record homicide rates. I'm not okay with that. At all. It's not good at all. We shouldn't be like, oh, you know what? Like like nearly 100% of us are not getting murdered. Yeah, there is record number of murders happening, but the rest of us are fine. So we don't need to worry about it. Ridiculous, guys. Come on. I don't even need to comment on that one. All right, let's move on. Uh, restroom, restroom wedding on John and Sherry's show. What's this one about? Gas station bathroom. People got married in a bathroom. Trisha Megan, I'm in the men's bathroom at the Verona Hop Shops, and it was here between these bathroom stalls that Logan and Tiana Abney promised each other forever. Now, you may be thinking there's a couple more romantic spots than this, but for this unconventional couple, this spot was perfect. I wanted something a little different. Didn't want to just get married in a typical chapel or, you know, go to the church. You know, I wanted something fun to tell my kids. Yeah, yeah, bathroom. Yeah, gas station bathroom. Truck stop bathroom, yeah. Something funny, a good experience. And that's when Hop Shop's employee, Tiana Abney, had a crazy idea. She was like, the Hop Shop, at the Hop Shop, and I'm like, well, I don't seem too bad. And she's like, the bathroom. And I'm like... Well, wait, wait. She ran the Hot Shop by him first, and he's okay with that? The Hop Shop with the with the <laughs> the orange counter for Micah tables and the... Whew, wow. Well, that's kind of cool, too. Now, this is no ordinary bathroom. In fact, it recently gained popularity for its disco-centric scene. They got a button in every hop shop. You push it, the disco lights come on, and music plays. This feature was enough for groom Logan Abney to get on board. Always was heard, it don't matter where you get married at, it's just the person you're with. So, surrounded by family, friends, co-workers, and even customers, 23-year-old Tiana walked down the slushy aisle on Valentine's Day. Seeing her in her wedding dress, she looked beautiful. It was just... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> she came down that slushy aisle. Oh, It's uh, a pretty funny story. You know what? To that young couple, I wish them all of life's happiness. I truly do. I wish them all of life's wonderful things. All right. uh, We got a lot coming up on the show. We got a lot more coming up next, including Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil. I'm Dr. Phil. That's a bad impression. Dr. Phil has been making rounds. He has a new book out. His book is called uh, We Have Issues, and we do. Jesus Louise, do we have issues here in this country? He says, we have issues. He went on um, a couple of shows, and he said some stuff that's making news, and I think he's right on about what he's talking about. If that seems a little bit ambiguous or a little mysterious even, that's good. That's called an enticement. I'm trying to get you to stick around. So stick around. Coming up next, I'm going to play those clips for you, and then you and I can talk about it. We're going to be right back here on Cairo Nights. You're listening to Cairo Nights with Jake Scoreheim. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. All right, you guys know who Dr. Phil is? Dr. Phil McGraw. He hosts his own TV show, which I think he's had since 2002 or something like that. He's just been famous for a long time. I think Oprah kind of introduced him to us, and then he started taking over the world in his own way. Anyway, back to Dr. Phil's book. He has a new book out. It's called We've Got Issues, How You Can Stand Strong for America's Soul and Sanity. I normally don't pay too much attention to this kind of stuff. Um, you know, he's a, he's a, it's like a Dr. Oz. To me, it's like Dr. Oz. Would I pay attention to Dr. Oz? No, I wouldn't. But Dr. Phil has been saying some stuff that's been making a lot of waves on, in, in media, uh, on the internet. 
the last few days as he has been out promoting this book. And he's been saying a lot of stuff that I really agree with. He was on The Breakfast Club, which is a nationally syndicated, super popular radio show slash podcast slash tons of stuff. Um, the host of that show is a guy named Charlemagne the God. And uh, he was talking to Dr. Phil and they were asking him about one of the things he talks about in the book, which I am a huge believer in, which is that cell phones and social media and kids very dangerous for a lot of reasons. But Dr. Phil, he really backs it up with some stats. And I want to play this clip for you, then we can talk about it. When I started Dr. Phil in 2002, Mm -hmm. the first text message had never been sent. Wow. And then about 08, 09, it was like big C-130s flew over the country and dropped smartphones on everybody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that changed the world. And... At the same time that those cell phones came out, we saw the biggest spikes in depression, anxiety, and loneliness since records started getting kept. That's right. And why? Because they stopped living their lives and started watching people live their lives. Mm. And they started comparing their life to the life they were, they, they were watching being lived on that phone. And the problem was the life they were watching was a fiction. I think smartphones have ruined the sanity of America. I think in the long run, we're going to realize it wasn't what we thought. It wasn't as good as we thought it was. Yeah, I think you're, the, the downsides are huge. And I don't even think it's the phones. It's, so, it's, it's social media more so than yeah. anything. That's totally true. I 100% agree with that. I've talked about it here. I'm not going to let my kids have smartphones as long as I can possibly get away with keeping it out of their hands. Because I love my kids. And I think it's dangerous. I think it's really interesting because I am, I just turned 40 recently. So I was born in an era where I grew up remembering time before smartphones. My wife and I talk about this all the time. We grew up in a time where we remember when technology wasn't just so ubiquitous that it was everywhere, in everything, tracking you, uh, listening to your conversations, trying to sell you things based on the conversations that it hears you having. That didn't exist. Everything was really, really analog when I was a kid, like the coolest technology when I was a kid, Nintendo. And then when Super Nintendo came out, my mind just got totally blown. But it wasn't like, this wasn't in every facet of our lives. We didn't have to worry about social media was nothing. Social media didn't even really come out until I was in college. And even then it was still kind of like, eh, what's the social media thing? So I grew up having the normal childhood experience. And so because of that, I think that makes me more cautious because I remember those days before technology and social media just became ingrained in our lives. I remember what that was like. And I say, you know what? Like, actually that kind of is an idealistic way to grow up. And so for me and my family, my wife and I have decided that with our kids, when they start driving, we're going to give them a dumb phone. We're not going to give them a smartphone. We're not going to let them have social media because I think it's dangerous. It's not good for kids' health. Mentally, not good for their health. It's dangerous. It promotes online bullying, all these different things. It's not like the the algorithms are chasing your kids around. They're not chasing them around telling them great things about themselves. They're chasing your kids around, especially girls, and telling them that they need to be prettier or they need to pay more attention to this or that or they need to dress a certain way or all these different things. And you're just like introducing this little evil thing into their pocket. Why would you give them that? Like, why would you give them such a profound influence on their lives that's not from somebody who loves them? I wouldn't, and I certainly sure as heck won't. I promise you that. It's not even a question. It's not going to happen. My kids are getting doodle bugs or jitter bugs or whatever those phones are called that are made for old people. 
big, big buttons, no internet connection. If they need to call me, they can remember what my number is. That's how they're going to get there. They also will know the number to 911. They'll be safe. I promise you they'll be fine. I highly recommend that for all of you and your kids. We get a lot of people text in too. You guys all feel the same way, I think. A lot of you feel the same way. Um, so social media, back to the social media thing. Do you remember this when Mark Zuckerberg, we have more Dr. Phil, we'll play that in a minute. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg was giving a uh, congressional, he was at a congressional hearing along with the CEOs of like five other big social media companies. Not Elon Musk who owns Twitter because they weren't interested in Elon Musk. Uh, they were talking to Zuckerberg and a bunch of other folks and they were asking them, hey, do you think there's a link between mental health, specifically in teenagers and social media? Zuckerberg had this to say, and this is absolutely crazy to me and so inherently untrue from my perspective and from everybody's like experience. This just cannot be possibly true. This is what Zuckerberg had to say, though. With so much of our lives spent on mobile devices and social media, it's important to look into the effects on teen mental health and well-being. I take this very seriously. Mental health is a complex issue, and the existing body of scientific work has not shown a causal link between using social media and young people having worse mental health outcomes. Come on. That's ridiculous. Of course they do. Of course we know that's true. You heard Dr. Phil just say that. Back in 2007, 2008, when the iPhone's invented, people suddenly have the world at their fingertips, right in their pocket. What happens? Mental health problems shoot through the roof for the, the largest spike in recorded history since they've been tracking it. The largest spike in specifically kids. More, more specifically in teenage girls. And so, yeah, like Facebook, are you going to believe what Facebook says? No. And they own Instagram. They want people on these platforms. Who do you think uses it the most? Kids. Uh, all right, we got so many more Dr. Phil clips. Do I have time to play this last one? All right. Uh, Dr. Phil also talked about on The Breakfast Club, he said why he believes that the American family is under attack. But to answer your question, why am I focused on America? That's right. The, the, the question started changing. I had to start dealing with cyber bullying, mm -hmm. cyber predators, you know, pretending to be a 14-year-old guy, getting a 14-year-old girl to come out her bedroom window and meet them at midnight. And they got there and there's a 45-year-old pedophile uh, that abducted them and, and took off. Um, you know, all of these, the questions started changing. And they've continued to change now where parents are concerned, you know, what are their kids getting exposed to at school? Are they getting groomed on the internet? Mm -hmm. You know, they think they're back there playing a video game. They don't realize those video games are internet capable. Yeah. And so they're in chat rooms while they're playing the game. Um, I think families in America are under attack. And I think the family unit is the backbone of America. And if that's under attack, then America gets weakened. And, I, and somebody's got to stand up and call this stuff out. You know what? I've never really listened to Dr. Phil before, but I'm listening now. I like him. I like what he's saying. All right, we got a lot more coming up on the show, including next, there's another Dr. Phil clip, uh, clip that I want to play for you. He stopped by The View. He's promoting his book, and he had a little something to say to the ladies of The View that they didn't like to hear. And so there's a little back and forth that I found really uh, entertaining. So I'm going to play that for you next. Stick around for that. We're going to be right back here on Cairo Nights. You're listening to Cairo Nights with Jake Scorheim.
Welcome back to Kyra Nights. All right, before the break, we were playing you some clips from Dr. Phil McGraw. I'm Dr. Phil. Uh, he has a new book out. It's called We've Got Issues, How You Can Stand Strong for America's Soul and Sanity. He was on The Breakfast Club. I'm going to play this clip one more time for you because Dr. Phil's just dropping truth bombs, I guess. That's what he's doing right now. Um, he talks about the dangers of kids, cell phones, social media, all of it. I totally agree with Dr. Phil. And then I'm going to play you in just a second, this clip that he has on The View. Uh, so he was on The Breakfast. He's doing a lot of different things right now, promoting the book. But he goes on The View, and I'll play you that clip in a second. That's the really, that's the one that gets kind of fiery. But here's what he said in The Breakfast Club about kids, cell phones, and social media. When I started Dr. Phil in 2002, mm -hmm. the first text message had never been sent. Wow. And then about... 08, 09, it was like big C-130s flew over the country and dropped smartphones on everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that changed the world. And at the same time that those cell phones came out, we saw the biggest spikes in depression, anxiety, and loneliness since records started getting kept. That's right. And why? Because they stopped living their lives and started watching people live their lives. Mm. And they started comparing their life to the life they were they they were watching being lived on that phone. And the problem was the life they were watching was a fiction. I think smartphones have ruined the sanity of America. I, I think in the long run we're going to realize it wasn't what we thought. It wasn't as good as we thought it was. Yeah, I think you're, the, the downsides are huge. And I don't even think it's the phones. It's, so, it's it's social media more so than yeah. anything. Yep, social media, totally agree on that. All right, so after The Breakfast Club, he then went over and he stopped. I don't know if the same day. I don't know his schedule. But at some point, he made his way on over to The View, uh, which you guys have probably also heard about. So The View, uh, was he was sitting there on The View talking with the ladies of The View, and they decided to get on the topic of, he, he, he covered the cell phone stuff a little bit, but then he also started talking about school closures and the pandemic. This was really interesting. Listen to this back and forth. 08, 09 smartphones came on and and kids started they stopped living their lives and started watching people live their lives mm. and so we saw the biggest spike and the highest levels of depression anxiety loneliness and suicidality since records have ever been kept mm. and you can hear they're with him right now so they're, they're all right we can acknowledge that they say they uh clearly they're saying mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we get it like social media use teenagers kids we all agree that uh, not a good thing. It's just continued on and on and on. And then COVID hits 10 years later and the same agencies that. So this is where they then, they then take separate roads. Dr. Phil says, so, he goes down one road. Uh, they do not want to go down this road with him. That knew that are the agencies that shut down the schools for two years. Who does that? Who takes away the support system for these children? Who takes them away and shuts it down? And by the way, when they shut it down, they stopped the mandated reporters from being able to see children that were being abused and sexually molested, and in fact sent them home and abandoned them to their abusers with no way to watch, and referrals dropped 50 to 60%. So, there was also a pandemic yeah. going yeah, there was, on, they were trying to save They were trying lives, to save kids' well. lives. Remember, we know a lot of folks who died during this so it wasn't people weren't laying Not around eating bond, but well you know what we're lucky maybe we're lucky they didn't because we kept them out of the 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 places that they could get, be sick because no one wanted to believe we had an issue are you saying no school children died of covid i'm saying it was the safest group they were the less vulnerable group and they suffered and will suffer more 
from the mismanagement of COVID than they will from the exposure to COVID. And that's not an opinion. That's a fact. So the audience then starts clapping and they clearly agree with Dr. Phil. Do you know what I I wish here, though, when I'm listening to this clip? I'm a parent. I had kids during the pandemic. In fact, my oldest son uh, went, started school uh, in the pandemic. He was a kindergartner. And so his first school experience, I mean, he went to preschool and stuff like that, too. So he had some in-school experience before experience before that. But when he actually started real school, uh, you know, full day school, his first year was entirely at home. We have pictures of him. It's the most bizarre thing when you really think back and look at it now. We can kind of look back now because it's been a few years. He spent his entire kindergarten staring at a tiny little screen in the corner of a room that we set up for him. We set up a little desk and he did school at home on this little computer screen. And you know what? I wasn't in love with how it went. We, you know, we tried our best. I understand. I, I, I want to believe that the schools were trying their best as well. But I think it's important, like Dr. Phil says here, that we can look back now and go, hey, you know what? Uh, that, that was a really safe group as far as COVID goes. And so the idea of shutting down all schools for two years, totally taking them out of these situations where they should, they should have been in school, we should be able to look back on that with some context now with a little experience and with a little knowledge about what we were actually dealing with. We didn't know at the time. I understand that. The view ladies are also not wrong. We also didn't know at the time completely what we were dealing with, but they kind of also did know that the kids were very safe. They were the, they were the safest group. And there was a lot of voices at the time saying, maybe we shouldn't be shutting down schools for this length of time. Like maybe a short shutdown, totally understand that, but maybe not for two years. And so I do think it's a good idea that we can look back and we can critically think about things that we did in the past. And if they were mistakes, I think it's okay to call them mistakes. So we don't have to repeat those mistakes in the future. Anyway, I'm interested in what Dr. Phil's saying. These, uh, these clips are making me interested. We have a lot more coming up on the show. Next hour, we got the 9 p.m. hour. That's really the fun time. We just let our hair down, have a good time. We got a lot of stories left to cover. Uh, we have a bizarre exchange we're going to get into next hour between the White House press secretary and a reporter who asks a really simple question. Why isn't Biden taking a cognitive test? If it's not, if it's no big deal, if everything's great, why isn't he taking the test? And then, because he just had his physical, that's why we're talking about this. Uh, and they decided he didn't need a cognitive test. And so the White House press secretary says, you know what? No, he doesn't need to take it. And the reason she gives for why he doesn't need to take it is kind of, I don't know. I don't know how you can defend it, to be honest. Like, just take the test. It takes 15 minutes. Just take the test. All right. We have all that and much, much more coming up next. Stick around. We're going to be right back here on Carbonites. Nights. 